Welcome to another edition of the Backdoor Cover, the IB Sports Weekly Gambling Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Fleming. I am waiting on my co-host, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy on social media, a.k.a. Ivy Yeezus, uh, to join me on this week's uh, edition of the Backdoor Cover. We're going to discuss the NBA, or excuse me, NFL futures, the win totals, over-unders. They just came out recently. Uh, We will then discuss three NBA games from Wednesday's slate of NBA games. Uh, We're going to go over the Bucks at Pacers, the Heat at the Jazz, and then the Lakers at the Denver Nuggets. And then we're going to end the podcast with our special guest, Scott Porter, who was uh, my co-host for a golfing podcast I did for quite some time called Two Off the Tee. And we're going to discuss the PGA Tour Genesis Open out in California. Uh, Very excited about that. It's the deepest field uh, yet on the 2020 PGA Tour season. Uh, literally all the big guys are there. Nine out of the top ten players in the world. You got Dustin Johnson, Kepka, Spieth, and Tiger Woods. My man, Tiger Woods, that goat man, uh, playing actually about 40 miles from where he grew up. Um, and uh, we're going to start the podcast, and Alan will jump in here in just a few minutes talking about the NFL future win totals over and under. Uh, before we do that, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, my bookie, uh, all of our lines and, uh, stuff, uh, from the gambling world come from my bookie gambling site. If you do not gamble on my bookie, we highly suggest that you do. Uh, if you're first time signing up with my bookie, please use the IB sports promo code and you will get a, uh, added bonus on your first time deposit. So, Interestingly enough, the you know NFL future wins over under totals came out. Uh, today we're going to kind of just go through the list. Um, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, or at least on each individual team. We will go over them again, obviously, as the season gets closer. But I know Alan has told me in the past that you can get sometimes tremendous value uh, out of, uh, you know, basically making your bets early in the year. Uh, That is before you're going to have a lot of gambling and action on those lines, and obviously that changed uh, the betting numbers. So before Alan jumps on, I'm going to go ahead and uh, go over uh, these lines. Actually, Alan, are you there now? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Uh, We're just getting started. I actually went ahead and kind of went over what we're going to – uh, go over today on the podcast and uh, went ahead and thanked our sponsor, my bookie. You doing all right, Alan? Yeah, I'm doing good. Awesome. So we're going to start with the NFL future wins totals over and under. Alan, I figured what we do is I'm going to go through these, and if you think they're about right and there's not too much to discuss, it's it's truly a 50-50 uh, split right now at their win total. We'll just keep moving. Uh, if you see one that that is of interest, either because you really are intrigued by the over or under, we'll stop and discuss it a little bit, and I'll do the same. Uh, we'll start with the Arizona uh, Cardinals. Their win total is at six and a half. 
the over odds are minus 130. The under odds are plus 100. Last year they went 5, 10, and 1. Do you think that's about right? Anything jumps out at you there? Yeah, I would expect some improvement. Um, <clears throat> the team wasn't uh, – they actually wasn't that bad against the number uh, in their division, especially as the season got longer. I think Kyler Murray is getting uh, a little banged up, kind of hurt him. But, I mean, last year was kind of a trial period. I, I think they can improve by at least one or two games. And is that – because we were kind of discussing before we, we went on the air – you know, most of these, the, the odds are a slight minus in both directions. When you see the over at plus 100, is that more because you think they're trying to entice people to take the under, or is that because that line is not going to go uh, any lower? Uh, I think it's more because the line's not going to go any lower. Um and then they want you to assume the risk of of taking that gamble of of the over in the sense that you know it's it's a gambler's play because it's even odds or or you're not there's no juice involved and then the uh, logical play would be the under because they they were won five games last year uh, I think a lot of people are, are low on Cliff and and his uh, offensive scheme uh, producing more. Um, wins next year, especially because there's a lot of roster upheaval. There's not a lot of weapons there. Even if they go through the draft, they're still going to have a very young team, so it might be difficult. So I think it's just a lot of variables involved in that simple logic would say to take the under. That's why they added more juice to the under than the over. And it also needs to be said that, you know, they won five games and they had a tie. And, you know, they had to play the Seahawks, the 49ers, and the Rams twice. Uh, you know, that's a – it's like what you said. That, I thought that was one of the better bad teams in the NFL, especially when you looked at their schedule and some of the wins that they had. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons are next. This is one that jumps out for me. I hope this is not a homer pick. But their win total is set at eight. It's minus 115 both directions. They were seven and nine and, and – this past season, I like the over there. I just don't see – I mean, it's like what you were saying on the last week's podcast, and I just don't see how a team with that much talent is that bad and disappoints again. And under eight wins would be, without a doubt, a disappointing season for this roster. Yeah, um, and again, there's some questions about what the Panthers are going to do. Is Drew Brees retiring – I mean, the Bucks ain't going to do anything. So, um, again, looking at their division, there's opportunity uh, because they're going to have the same core on offense. They just got to stay healthy on defense. Um, but there, there will definitely be an opportunity for the Falcons to kind of bounce back. I, I'm not reading too much in what they did last year. I don't think that's who they really are, and, and I would anticipate them um, coming out and winning some games this year. All right, so we got the Baltimore Ravens at 11 wins. It's minus 115 in both directions, and they were 14 and two last year. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Um, it's hard for people to um, to to kind of repeat that kind of success with such a limited offensive scheme per se. Um, I, I think there's still room for Lamar to grow as a passer, um, and I think he will. 
Um, but I've been very big on Greg Roman and how he staled as he stayed in um, San Francisco. Um, I would make an argument it was like that in Buffalo, too. Um, generally speaking, that second season with Greg Roman isn't really the same. So I'm curious to see how they're going to approach it, um, if they are going to try to develop a little bit more of a uh, passing first um, movement up there. Uh, they, they should improve, though. Um, they're going to want to upgrade their running back position. Um, they're going to want to add some pass rushers to that defense because it was sorely missed um, this year. And the Steelers are going to come back better, I think. Still don't know where we're going to get out the Browns. Um, and then the yep. Bengals are kind of – but <laughs> but um, there, there'll be an opportunity there. I would be more curious as to their uh, out-of-division uh, schedule more so the in division, they're still going to be competing with Pittsburgh to, to win the division. I don't, I don't have a doubt um, with that. Um, but um, I can't see them winning 14 games. 12 or 13 might be pushing it, honestly. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I like that number, though. That's kind of right about what I would, you know, expect. You'd hope that they're still going to be good, but it's going to be difficult to go 14 and two, obviously, again, or even 12 and four, 13 and three. We got the Buffalo Bills next at eight and a half wins. The uh, over is minus 125. The under is minus 105. And they went 10 and six last year. You know, they were lucky to win. Uh, quite a few games at a very easy schedule last year. What what do you think of that number? The Bills? Yeah. I actually, I actually like that number. Uh was it was it nine or nine and a half? It's eight and a half. Oh, eight and a half? All right, yeah. Because I remember mm-hmm. late, uh, glossing over that, but I was thinking nine is good. Nine is a good number. Uh, Jets, Dolphins still going to be uh, a tad bit behind, and the Patriots are still vulnerable. Um, with they won 10, 11 games this year. I can't remember how many they won this year. But, yeah, nine should be doable for that team. Eight and a half isn't scaring me at all. I'd be shocked if they went back and showed up eight and eight in that division. So this is another interesting one. The Panthers at six and a half. The over is minus 130. The under is plus 100. They went five and 11. So they're they're, you know, calling for a slight – uh, incline and you know they were very good early in the season and then just cratered down the stretch. Uh, what do you think about that one? Um, it's kind of it's kind of a toss up on that one. I think um, I'm a little I'm a little nervous to, to make these these picks so early because. I don't know what people are doing for the draft and, and what's going to happen with free agency. Um, mainly, I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be in play for, like, Cam Newton, Phillip Rivers, when, when they really hit the market. And that could really change a lot of people's um, strategy for the offseason and what they want to do. So it's it's a little, little tricky. I think the best line that I saw um, – when I scanned when I scanned that page, um, there was one that I looked at. I'm gonna double check real quick because I was like, I would definitely, um, I would definitely play that. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, it was the uh, Seahawks actually. The Seahawks at nine. I think I think we can depend on them to win about 11 games next year. 
right, I think so that's why, probably why the best one. This way, then. then, then instead of going through all of them, we'll do it this way. Yeah. So there is, we got the Falcons at eight, the Bears at eight, the Browns at eight, the Broncos at eight. Which of those four are you most confident going over, and which of those four? Are you the most confident in going under? We got the Falcons, the Bears, the Browns, and the Broncos. Uh, Falcons over. Um, and as far as the under, it's between the Bears and the Broncos. Um, I'm not going to say the Browns because the Browns got a, uh, there's too many variables, man. They still got a lot of talent. They just need somebody to mm-hmm. to make it work. But, I mean, it would be an easy call to say the Browns because, I mean, I don't have much faith in their coaching hire and, and that process in general. But, um, Who did they hire? Have they made a hire? Uh, I do believe they did. Um, let me check real quick. It was – yeah, it's it's um, the Viking uh, – they hired Minnesota Viking offensive <laughs> coordinator. Yeah. Kevin Stefanowski. Why does it seem like everybody's last name has got a ski in it? <laughs> why are, Why do you um, think the Browns continue to go with these unproven coaches when you're a franchise that really just needs stability at this point, right? Um, they're cheap, and then they're they're also they just got bad juju, man. Like people don't want to work for this organization. Um, and then they they didn't want to hire. Like, they hired their coach before they hired their GM, and that's just backwards. So, I mean, you're already creating some kind of dysfunction there. Like, the coach shouldn't pick his boss, and and the GM needs to be hired before the coach because the GM's got to handle the roster and everything. Um, so they're just, they're just a trash organization. It's just hard to be successful there, and and um, it, it's just not really professional. And then you got Baker and, and his um, his immaturity and, and – Crazy Miles Garrett is is just a big mess right now. I think a lot of people who were established coaches didn't really want to like a like a um like uh the the <laughs> I'm about to call him Holmgren <laughs> uh, McCarthy mm-hmm. uh like he doesn't want to go to a team like that like you know that you hear about the Harbaugh rumors and stuff like that like Harbaugh's not leaving Michigan for a team like the Browns it's just a big mess to clean up so guys like Stefanowski and 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 these lower level people like Freddie Kitchens they'll jump at the opportunity because they feel like you know this is a chance of a lifetime and the talent on that roster offensively at least is there I mean even defensively Miles Garrett is, is one of the better pass rushers in the league so there's talent it's just man when you it's one of those things from the outside looking in you like I could do that and then when you get in the mix it's not it's not possible. So um, I think that's part of the reason, and and people don't really talk about it, but I think a lot of coaches, players, and 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 um, just in general GMs as well, like they're starting to really buy into the public perception of a lot of these organizations, and that's why you're seeing people kind of fail on the hiring end because people just don't want to be uh, labeled. I mean, think about it; the public is crucial. Like they're they're just very crucial uh, in in perception and driving narrative. And, I mean, we see it all the time with black coaches, but uh, even some uh, white coaches as well. Like, you get a bad gig, man. It only takes one time, and then you get labeled, and then you, you might end up in the XFL, you know? 
So I think a lot of people are, are being more hesitant now because of that um, hot take era that we're in. Okay, so let's go to the uh, the low end of the spectrum for the win totals. And, and this shouldn't surprise you with the teams we're going to talk about. You got the Redskins, uh, the Dolphins, and the Bengals. They're all at five and a half wins. Do any of those, do you have confidence in them going over? Uh you said the Broncos and the Redskins. The Red, the Reds. No, no, I'm sorry. The Redskins, I mean, no, the Bengals, Dolphins, and the Dolphins. Man, I'm not touching the Bengals. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I see that there, there's a lot of juice on that over, but it, I mean, it's just hard, man. Like Burrow's coming into a situation. He's got a young coach. I mean, are they going to keep AJ Green? It, it's just, it's just a really tricky situation. Um. I mean the skins, they five and a half. Like Riverboat's better than that, man. Like <laughs> my man Riverboat's good for at least six or seven. Like he's he's a perennial five hundred type guy anyway. Um, like he's always gonna get you uh, seven like grind out wins. I just worry that he's not gonna be the guy that really helps um, do, um, Haskins do anything. But there's a little bit of talent on that roster. Um, I would bank on the Dolphins or Skins before I would the Bengals. And the Dolphins, one of those teams, like, they really played some, some good football down the stretch. It was stupid to, to actually try to win games, but they did. And um, there's enough talent on that offensive side and enough grit, and, and their coach is, is high energy. He seems to really care. And he motivated these dudes in a, in a season that was completely a throwaway season and they won a couple games, and I would anticipate that with a um, fresh start next year um, that they would at least get about six wins. I think that the culture that they had that led to a lot of those blowouts early on, they kind of got rid of those guys or, or, or got rid of that mentality, and um, I would expect them to bounce back. So it's a toss-up between the Dolphins and the Skins, honestly. So I'm actually going to disagree with you here. Uh, I actually like the Bengals uh, to be a team that could win six, seven, maybe even eight games next year. I I really believe in Joe Burrow. I was somebody who did not believe in him uh, most of the college season, but if he just continued to put up performance after performance, uh, I I think this kid is so special – uh, I love the swagger and stuff that he has, which, you know, they say so much about an NFL quarterback being successful is, you know, the aura winning the locker room and then obviously the intangibles on the field. And then just looking at their schedule, I mean, their home games are not what you would call easy. They got, uh, you know, the Ravens, the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Titans, which those are all tough games, but they also got home games against the Jaguars, the Browns, the Chargers, and the Giants. And then their road games, you take away their division games, they have road games at Cleveland, Houston, Indy, Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington, Miami. That's, you know, that's a pretty – easy schedule. I mean, I think that's a couple of the divisions that you would want to draw, uh, at least 
from last year uh, in, in the NFC East because I still think that the Giants are a ways off. The Redskins are a ways off. I mean, I think the Cowboys and Eagles are both will be decent. And then I, I'm still not a big believer in the AFC South because, you know, other than Watson, none of them, in my opinion, have a quarterback. If you want to say Tannehill, then, you know, maybe two of them do. Uh, and I just think the Bengals actually have some really, you know, good talent on the offensive side of the ball. They just haven't had a quarterback. Uh, and, you know, it, it was well, kind of proved in the game that Dalton played this year. They won, you know, in the first game that they had a quarterback that was just, you know, above average. I mean, Mixon is a good weapon. A.J. Green's a good weapon. But um, Eifert can never stay healthy. And defensively on their uh, front, when they're when they're playing hard, they're they're really good. But you gotta think, man, this is a this is a team that's lacking leadership um, on their coaching staff. Like the the coaches, I'm not saying he's in over his head, but it wasn't very promising last year. Um, like even with the minimum talent that they had, it it just didn't seem like it clicked from the X's and O's standpoint. Uh, for the Bengals a lot of times. So, um, of course, talent can mask bad coaching, and it, it was a small sample size. Um, so it would obviously help to have A.J. Green. Um, but in my mind, and I think in a lot of people's mind, they're moving away from Andy Dalton. So you bring in Joe Burrow, who is probably one of the better um, prospects when it comes to the term NFL ready. But – I mean, it's still there's still a lot of talent lacking from that team, from that roster, um, and and I know like the schedule looks light, but what if what if the Colts pick up um, Cam Newton, or what if they pick up Phillip Rivers? Right. Like, what if two? What if both of those guys go to one of those two teams that they're that they're playing? I mean, like you know, like what if they go to any of those right. teams? It's going to change the whole dynamic, and then you're looking at two potential losses that you didn't really calculate. Um, you also have to think the Bengals were pretty banged up last year as well. Um, and it's not just A.J. Green, but, I mean, that A.J. Green's obviously the main name. But um, A.J. was hurt. Ross was hurt. Um, I think Boy was hurt uh, here and there, too. And those are key weapons on their offense. And then Mixon was playing injured a lot of times, and they put a lot of mileage on Mixon. So they're going to need more depth mm-hmm. this year. Like, it's just, it's just an organization that – Coming off of the number one pick, I know a lot of people see what the 49ers did and, and, and everything fell in place for us this year, but that is very, very rare that a team would literally go from a, a number one, number two pick and then turn around and win a substantial amount of games the next season. The most you're generally looking at when you win two two games or one game um, the next season is potentially maybe six or seven at best. And And – Again, they're five and five and a half. You kind of rolling the dice. If they get a rookie quarterback, there will be growing pains for for Burrow. If AJ Green isn't a hundred percent healthy, if they trade AJ Green, if Mixon goes down, like it's a very fragile play, if you ask me. Okay. So one more thing, and then we'll move on to the NBA. There was, I believe, five or six teams. Six teams that are projected or their their total, excuse me, the number is 10 or better. You have the Ravens at 11 wins, the Chiefs at 11.5, that was the most, the Patriots at 10.5, the Saints at 10, the Eagles at 10, and the Niners at 
Which of those right now would you be most confident to get the over? Um, I love the Niners, man. It's it's that's the thing about like we were fortunate, man. Even even in some of our uh, our um, injuries, we were fortunate. I would say the Chiefs. I would say the Chiefs. Um, simply because you take Rivers out of that division, you put the Raiders in Las Vegas, and the Broncos still got Fangio. And and a, and a quarterback who hasn't started a full season, and the Chiefs are returning everybody from a Super Bowl right. season, and and they've got they've got a goal in mind to make this a dynasty, and and the one thing that might hurt them is that everybody's talking about them potentially taking over now, like you know the Patriots are going downhill and and things of that nature. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a season where I would have looked at the Patriots at ten and a half and been like. I'm hammering the or hammering the over, you know, like not jumping on that, but it's a little nerve wracking, man. Like they did not look good down the stretch. I don't care what nobody says. Brady's showing his age. They don't have playmakers around them anymore. Um, I would be very interested to see um, what moves they make. Not even in the draft. Like we, we need off season moves, off season acquisitions, um, like seasoned veterans. Like I don't think Brady and them have the the time to coach somebody up, and and I don't think he's got the ability around him uh, or the ability anymore to elevate people's game, you know, because he's getting old one way or another. Um, so I would say going with what I saw at the end of this year, obviously Super Bowl champions, um, but also in what should be a weak division, I would take the Chiefs. And I mean that would be my only argument for why I would probably take the Pats is. Everything you just said is 100% true, but until the Dolphins, Bills, uh, you know, even I guess the Jets, if you want to have a laugh, can prove that they can, you know, take a stranglehold on that division and you still got Brady and Belichick, you know, all signs pointing to coming back, I would argue that, you know, I still think the Pats is a safer pick only just because I, I just – you know, I trust more in that organization and what they do. I mean, Belichick's won 10 games with, you know, Matt Castle before. Uh, and then one more thing before we move on, out of those teams, and again, it was the Niners 10.5, Eagles 10, Saints 10, Pats 10.5, Chiefs 11.5, Ravens 11. Which one are you surprised the most by how high their win total is? Um... Well, I guess since I gave that um, that talk about the the Ravens, I would probably say I'm surprised about that. I mean, there's a lot of mileage on on uh, Lamar, man, and and I said this a long time ago. Like at some point, man, like he's gonna break down. It's just the nature of the beast. Like it doesn't have to be clean hits. It's just the accumulation of constantly carrying the ball. I mean, he was literally their best running back last year. Um, I really think they need to start looking into easing easing um, his load on offense. I mean, we kind of seen that with uh, Cam Newton. Cam Newton used to, and he was a, he's a bigger, thicker uh, quarterback, and he was taking uh, some some um, hits here and there, but they weren't like 
open field hits and things like that. It was short yardage runs, you know. But over time, the mm-hmm. accumulation, it, he's broken down a little. And I know he changed his diet some as well. But um, I'm a little surprised that they're at 11 with a, a Ben Roethlisberger coming back. Um, the, the Steelers bringing back one of the better young defenses uh, in, in mm-hmm. the league. Um, having Fitzpatrick for a full season and then maybe potentially adding another wide receiver to go along with uh, Juju. Um, heck, they might even trade for Le'Veon Bell from some of the rumors if you believe them. Like, they might bring the big Bs back or whatever, the three Bs or whatever. You know, like, there's a lot of rumors going around. But either way, the Steelers are a team set up. If you look at how they played last year, you put Ben back in that situation and he's healthy and you add – another receiving option or a more durable running back uh, than Connor. And you, you got a really good team that's going to challenge for that division. And that 11 is going to be tough, man. It's going to be real tough. It's going to be a grind. And, and again, the Ravens don't really have a good defense. So, um, and this I'm, is a team a that, right, correct me that. if I'm wrong, they're going to have to face being the number one seed in this. They're going to be playing the Pats the Chiefs, and the Texans next year as well, right? Like outside of their division play. Isn't that the way it works? I think you play the the first-place team uh, in each division. I know you play one other division, uh, your division, and then I believe you play against the first-place team from the other division, correct? Or am I got that confused? I think so. Yeah, I think it's something like that. I'm with you. And then the other thing, the other two that were just a little surprising to me is – I guess the Saints at 10, that's, you know, Vegas' way of saying they're confident Breeze is coming back. And then the Eagles at 10, uh, I I guess they're just saying that injuries were the main reason they were mediocre last year. The Eagles? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Not really. I mean, their defense was trash. That's what what I'm saying. Uh, Well, that's what I'm saying. Jim Sports. Jim Schwartz was uh, one of the dumbest defensive coordinators I've ever seen. Uh, it, it, I, I mean, the guy was running uh, zero zero coverage with, with guys who could not cover uh, their own shadow in man-to-man. It was really, really bad. Um, their secondary was probably the worst secondary in the league. If you, if you took all the talent on each team and you looked at the secondaries talent-wise, they were probably the most underachieving secondary. Um, I mean, it sucks that all the receivers stayed hurt, but even when they were in, they wasn't really good. Miles Sanders was a blessing, but, I mean, Eagles got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. Um, That's, I mean, still, I'm with still you. a very talented roster, but without Frank Wright, um, I mean, I downplayed it myself, but, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, man. They haven't been right since Frank went to uh, Indy, so they got a lot of work to do. I'm with you. That was the one that really jumped out uh, to me. All right, so let's move on to the NBA. we got three games on tomorrow's night slate. The first game is the Milwaukee Bucks, who are one-and-a-half-point favorites going into Indianapolis, playing the Pacers. The Bucks are 41-7. and seven. Uh, The Pacers are 31-23. and 23. The Bucks are 9-1 and one in their last 10. The Pacers are struggling. They're 3-7, and seven, but they did get Oladipo back. Uh, recently, uh, the Bucks have won their past five against the spread, seven of their last ten. The Pacers are one and five against the spread in February. Uh, interestingly enough, I saw that George Hill is questionable in this game for an ankle. The other one was Giannis 
uh, for personal reasons, was questionable. I'm oh, not sure what that was about. I could. Oh, is that he what? Baby. Okay. So. Yeah. Is he? Have they ruled he's going to play, or is that still kind of up in the air? Uh. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, the baby was born. I want to say yesterday. Um, so at some point, you would think he would take take a day off or something to be with his wife, which is or baby mama is fine. Yeah, he's it's not been wrong with him. I think the baby's healthy and everything, but he he definitely it was born yesterday, I believe. Okay, so uh, who do you like in this game? The Bucks have won the previous two matchups. Obviously, that was with Giannis by nineteen and twenty eight this season against Indy. I mean, the Bucks are just beasts, man. But if Giannis doesn't play, you would think the Pacers would win. But I got tricked into this, I uh, want to say, um, last week or a couple of days ago when uh, Luka was hurt and Porzingis had a broken nose and Dallas came into Indy and just ran through him, <laughs> you know. I don't, um, I'm still trying to figure out what the heck happened. Uh, there's some inconsistencies in the backcourt. Um of the Pacers right now, it makes you makes you worry. Uh, I think front court wise, I love Sabonis, I love his hustle, but when he's locked up against um, equally talented people, I think he's at a little disadvantage um, because he's not the most physical um, post player. Like he can get rebounds and stuff, but as far as scoring, I don't think he's the most physical when it comes to scoring. Uh, I mean, they haven't got much out of Miles Turner as far as consistency goes. Um, Hill is a huge part of that offense um, for the um, for the Bucks, and that makes me worry a little too. Um, wait, is Hill on the Pacers or the Bucks? I can't remember. <laughs> he's on the Bucks. All right, he's on the Bucks. Just making sure, because he did play for the Pacers at one point. I'm like, wait a minute. He did. Yes, off? he did. But, yeah. All right, so yeah, Hill Hill is, is pretty consistent. I mean, they can get it done with Bledsoe, but I mean, you're looking at a drop once uh, Bledsoe goes out. I, I don't know about their depth um, at point guard, and then again, Giannis is just like a key cog. But I will say that the Bucks are playing with such confidence as a team in general. You'd be hard pressed to to fade them right now. Again, they they're nine and one in their last ten. The Pacers, like I said, have had some inconsistencies in that backcourt. The Bucks will play defense. Um, obviously, it won't be the same without Giannis, but they will still play good defense. And uh, I'll be interested to see what the line would be if Giannis doesn't play, because you might get some value. Um, because, again, you got a team that's, that's um, not playing as well in Indiana, and then the team is going to be motivated to win one for, the, for their uh, leader, who's you know, celebrating the birth of his son. So, I mean, there will be motivation there. You best believe they're going to want to play hard uh, for Giannis and, and win in his absence. And I, I actually would take the Bucks either way. Uh, if you can get it right now at minus one and a half and there's a chance Giannis plays, that's even better. Again, they won their first two matchups. I know Giannis played by 19 and 28, but the Pacers, I think, are really struggling trying to get Oladipo back you know, in the lineup, he, you know, obviously he's coming off an injury, but he hasn't looked great. He hasn't played, I don't think, more than 25 minutes yet in his five or six games he played. So uh, I, I'm kind of leaning towards the way you, I would take the Bucks, honestly, uh, either way, especially if it's only one and a half and there's a chance Giannis plays because I didn't know it was actually for the baby. So the second game we're going to talk about is the Heat 
they're going to Utah. Utah is a four and a half point favorite. Uh, Miami is 35 and 18 overall. They're five and five in their last ten. Uh, Utah is also 35 and 18 overall and five and five in their last ten. Uh, Miami is three and three in the month of February against the spread, but they're one and three in their last four. The Jazz are two and three against the spread in February, uh, but uh, they have won their last two games against the spread. Tyler Hero is out for this game and is out, uh, from what I understand, and definitely Miami won the previous matchup uh, earlier this year, 107-104 at home. Who do you like in this game and why? Um, is Jimmy healthy? Is he going to play? Because I think he's been out a couple games too. He he was not listed on the injury report. Uh, the only okay. injury right now that I saw actually on the injury sheet was Tyler Hero. All right, Utah is pretty tough at home, man. Um, I would I would say, um, given the styles of both teams, it's a good matchup for the Jazz. Um, the fact that they only lost by three in Miami is, is a pretty big deal because, I mean, they're traveling across the time zones, um, and a lot of teams go to Miami. And Miami's well a good home team, too. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah. well, you know, they kind of get you with the Night strippers life. and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Word to my man J.R. Smith. I mean, it ha- happens, though. It really does. Um, I would I would like I would like to see that line drop a little bit, but at four and a half, four – I'm leaning Jazz. I really think uh, from what I've seen of, of both teams over the last couple of games or last couple of weeks, I have been following the NBA uh, from a gambling perspective pretty uh, closely over the last couple of weeks. I would say that the Jazz have a, a pretty decent advantage um, given that we're almost at all-star break, and I don't really think a lot of teams are going to be hard-pressed on these uh, long-distance road games to really give a lot of effort. All right. Uh, I I honestly, I, I, I'm going to go with you on this one. I'll take Utah just because you said to. Uh, the last game that we're going to talk about is the Los Angeles Lakers are going to Denver. Uh, right now, the Lakers are a one-point favorite. Uh, the Lakers are 40 and 12 overall in the season. They're six and four in their last ten. Uh, Denver is 38 and 16 overall, eight and two in their last ten. The Lakers are three and two in February against the spread. Denver is four and one against the spread in February. They've won their last four games, both outright and against the spread. Denver, I didn't realize this, won their previous matchup in LA by 24. Who do you like in this game, and why? Uh, the the altitude and stuff really plays a part in Denver, man. I mean, Denver literally has the most advantageous home court uh, when it comes to basketball. And, I mean, this is dating back to when um, the Warriors were the Warriors um, that we know to be NBA champions. They would, they would give them fits there. Um, so, I mean, I I, I bet Denver, um, what, last night? And I'm sorry, real quick, and... just to uh, interrupt you, Alan, but uh, I did want to mention I meant to do this. Uh, Barton is out in this game, and so is Michael Porter Jr. All right. I mean, I think they've been um, – pretty sure they've been out um, over the last couple of games. Um, so that's not, not really – like, long as Murray plays and, and Joker plays, then they're fine. I mean, Will Barton does help a lot. 
but I, I don't think he's going to move the needle much when they're at home. Um, so the Spurs uh, gave up a 29-10 to 10 run to close out the third quarter, lost the lead, got it back, and then the Nuggets went on a 15-0 run again. Like this, you're talking about a comeback. They were down 23 to San Antonio with six minutes and 49 seconds left in the third quarter. They won by seven. That's crazy. And the Spurs are not the Lakers, but, I mean, the Lakers – when they get on the road, man, they, they give up some points, man. They, they're not as in tune, you know. And, and they've had a couple of easy games. Um, I, I think they were playing, like, the Suns the other night. It looked like an all-star game. Like, AD's getting inbound oops and LeBron's getting free runs from the three-point line to dunk the ball and stuff. So, they've had it pretty easy. It ain't going to come like that in Denver. Um, what was the line? I would assume the Nuggets are it's, favorite. It's mine. It's no, it's actually the Lakers minus one right now. Oh, yeah. No, that's a trap, bro. <laughs> I'm taking the Nuggets. <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. I'm sorry. Especially given the, the current trends and how good the Nuggets are at home. One A one-point dog, I mean, I'm I'm all over that. And, and if I lose, I just lose because LeBron and AD or LeBron and AD. But I don't I don't see it happening, man. And it's, and it's not even uh, taken into consideration that they won by 24 in L.A., I mean, I'm not even acknowledging that because they're probably right. looking at it like, oh, okay, the Lakers are going to be motivated because they got blown out by them. And some of that's true. But, again, it's a tough it's a tough play in Denver. It really is. So let me see it. The only reason I'm going to take L.A. in this matchup is right now Denver is currently second in the West. This is the Lakers' last game, uh, you know, before the break. They're also a very good road team. They have, I think, the second-best road record in the NBA behind the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I think they're uh, they're 22-5 and five on the road. They're actually better win-loss record-wise than they are at home. Uh, and I just think that, you know, LeBron and them know they got a rest coming up. I actually think he's going to play hard and, and have a big game. So just to, you know, go the other way since we agreed on the first two, I'll take the Lakers. Uh, so we are going to now move on to the PGA Tour, which is uh, going to be in Los Angeles, uh, or not Los Angeles, but California, near Los Angeles, the Genesis Open at the Riviera Country Club. It's arguably the strongest field uh, in 2020. You got Tiger, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy. I mean, this is if you're a golf fan, this is what really gets you going. There's several big storylines with the biggest names in the field. Rory is just became number one in the world again. I'm sure he is looking to establish himself as the best player in the game. Kepka is coming hey. back from a pretty from a pretty lengthy uh, injury, <laughs> and he will, uh, you know, obviously I think he's going to be upset about losing his number one status. Uh, him and Rory have a building rivalry, and then of course there's Tiger Woods, my dude, uh, uh. coming off his own considerable layoff, <laughs> going for his 83rd career victory, trying to break Sam Snead's. PGA Tour records. So we're going to go in-depth about this, and to do that, we wanted to bring on uh, my former co-host in another life on a golfing podcast. We used to do two off-the-tee podcasts. That's actually where me and Alan started doing podcasts together, Scott Porter. Scott, how you doing, buddy? Good, buddy. I uh, appreciate y'all having me on tonight. I've listened to the whole um, <clears throat> excuse me, listened to the whole show. Y'all did an excellent job with the uh, 
the NFL in the NBA. And Allen, just going to bring this up before, do not sleep on my boy Joe Burrow. He's going to ignite the Bengals locker room. I ain't sleeping he, on Joe, man, gonna, but he is there's one thing the I know about the league. <laughs> so listen, He's listen, there's ignite. one thing I know about the I, league, I'm, man. If there's one thing I know about the league, it don't matter how good you are as a rookie, you can't overcome bad coaching, man. And and I'm really scared of that coach. He's got all the intangibles. He's going to make all the right reads, get rid of the ball quickly, but he ain't going to have superior talent around him, nor is he going to have a good coaching uh, scheme around him as well. And generally those things tend to uh, create growing pain. So, I'm not trying to sleep on my boy. I love Joe. I'm hoping to make some money off of Joe because <laughs> I, I owe uh, the Clemson game. But still, I, I'm a little worried. <laughs> touche, touche. Well, I appreciate that. Y'all have me on. Let's talk about some golf. Absolutely. So before we get into the odds and the guys we like, uh, we we every week go over some of the statistics. That There's a couple of great sites that use this. It basically gives you some stats that, historically lead to basically the guys that win at these venues. This uh, event at Riviera, there, there's five they listed. It's strokes gained ball striking, strokes gained around the green, birdies gained, driving distance gained, and par four efficiency uh, from 450 to 500 yards for basically golf for dummies. You got to be able to ball strike. This is a really long golf course. I think it's like 7,200 yards. It's a par 71. I believe there's five or six par fours that play 450 or more, which, uh, you know, I mean, for somebody like me, that's basically a par five. Uh, and for these guys, uh, I mean, even for those guys, they're going to be having to hit some middle and long irons into the green. So it's really important to be able to get off the tee and really be a good ball striker. Uh who, who wants to start? Let's just go over some guys we like in the odds. Scott, you're the guest. Why don't you go first? All right, buddy. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I a couple things about Riviera. Um, one, if you don't watch golf um, as a regular, you, you're kind of one of the guys that only picks up the majors. There's a couple tournaments throughout the year that you want to pay attention to. Um, not only will it give you good insight of uh, who's playing well going into the Florida swing, um, which is very important going into Augusta, as we know. Um, but it also is very exciting. Like you said, there's a ton of top players in the world playing. We have a lot of storylines to go over. Like you said, as far as who's coming back, Rory taking over the number one spot, Brooks coming back. Um, but, you know, when you when you are talking about Riviera, like you said, it's 73.50 is the yardage. And playing it as a par 71, that is brutal, brutal. As a golfer, if you, if you play golf uh, – the average golfer long for them is 6,800 yards. Long for a tour pro at par 72 is about 73, 7,400. But to play it as a par 71 with one less par five is just absolutely insane. Um, the the field is huge. There's a lot of pass winners. There's a lot of uh, winners. I think there's 20. I think there's 26 guys that in the last 15 months have won a tournament um, that are in the field. Wow. Um, so there's there's a lot of top name um players. Um to to go over just hold on one second I'm straightening out my notes here, but to go over some of the players that, 
that I like. It's hard. You almost could could put all the names in into a hat and pull them out, and and pull one out, and and that person would have a great chance just because of how talented um, these these guys are out there. But I'll give you three um, and their odds that I like. Not the odds to make to make top twenty, but but the odds to win. But these are my three guys that I think will be in contention that that should finish top twenty. The first one is Bubba Watson. Um, Bubba Watson has won this event uh, three times. He also is coming off two top tens. He top ten at Scottsdale, TPC Scottsdale, and at Torrey Pines this year. So his form is good coming into this event. This is one of those picks for me that you just don't want to overthink. Um, He's not really a player that he's so streaky that it's hard to back him. But at plus two thousand to win the tournament, um, it, he's a player that you can't overlook by any stretch. Um, the other one, another guy that I really really like this week, just because ball striking is a premium, and when he's hitting the ball well, there's really not many people that that hit it any better than he does, and that's Hideki Matsuyama. Um, Hideki is at plus 2,200. So these guys are up at the top of the odds. But like I said, the, there's so much talent um, in this field that, you know, these, these guys are fired up and should perform well. Um, Hideki has had a good track record at Riviera. And I think, I think he's coming into 2020 extremely hungry. It's been 65 starts since he had a, a victory on the PGA Tour. Um, and that's been since 2017. So it's hard to believe that, that someone that's that talented that was once thought of the next thing in golf um, hasn't won in, in quite some time. So if his ball striking is where it needs to be, you better watch out because the dude can absolutely strike the golf ball. And then um, your boy that I wanted to talk about is is Tiger. Um, I, I think he continues um, his strong start in 2020 and is in contention uh, on Sunday here. He's comfortable here. He loves California. Um, the other thing is, man, we've talked about it time and time again with you and, and Alan on the podcast. Tiger plays great, or at least very well, in tournaments with good weather. It's supposed to be good weather. It's not going to be nasty. It's He's not going to be having to wear a, a jacket. He's, <laughs> he should be healthy, swinging freely, he should play well. Now, we haven't seen him in a couple weeks. Um, you know, is there going to be some rust there? That's what we we don't know. But if there's one thing about this Tiger Woods that we're seeing, is that he's done a very good job of staying in shape and keeping his golf swing in shape. Um, and I think you saw that towards the end of last year. He took some time off, got healthy, and then at the end of the year won the Zozo and then um, had that had that good outing a couple weeks ago. So um, he he should shine. The weather's supposed to be nice. And if ball striking is a premium, you still want to take Tiger Woods because, like, uh, like you've said a thousand times, Keith, he's the person you trust with a long iron in his hand. Absolutely. Uh, I'll go over uh, just some of the guys that I like. Uh, we'll, we'll do – actually, I'll do the top 10, top 20s first since Scott went and did that as well. Uh, I, I really like Kevin Na this week. You're getting three to one odds on a top 20. Uh, he's plus 7,500 to win it all. I, I don't really like that, but uh, he had a runner-up finish here two years ago. He finished fourth in 2017. He is not the kind of guy you think of 
when you think of this golf course. But Kevin Knight is a ball striker. Uh, he's great at scrambling around the greens. Uh, this tournament has kind of gone back and forth. Some years the scoring is really low. Other years it's not. Uh, but he has, like, consistently shown that he can compete in this tournament. Last year he didn't have a good show. Like I said, the two years previous that, second and fourth, I love when you're getting a three-to-one odds on a guy like that. He's playing pretty well right now. Uh, he had a, a tied 14th at Waste Management, or excuse me, he struck, missed the cut at Waste Management, had a tied 14th last week uh, at Pebble, and he's one of the best in the field in strokes gained around the green. Uh, I love Patrick Reed at plus 450 to top 10. Uh, he is the second best player on tour over his last 50 starts on par fours that are 450 to 500 yards, and he's fourth in strokes uh, gained on the greens in his last six events. That's two of the big categories that we talked about at the beginning of this. And then Reed just always seems to play his best in deep fields. You don't really ever see Patrick Reed uh, competing in, you know, your PGA event with maybe two or three guys that are in the top 20 in the world. It's in the big events that Patrick seems to uh, show up. And then the other one is Sung Kang, who is plus 1,400 for a top 10. And I know you're sitting there going, who the hell is Sung Kang? Uh, but he finished tied 64th here last year, which is not good. But in the previous three starts at this venue, he finished tied 16th, tied 22nd, and tied 8th. If I'm getting plus 1,400 for a top 10, and the guy basically was right in that spot and has done it once, uh, in a three-year stretch where three years in a row he topped 20. I, I like taking a you know a shot with somebody with that kind of a track record. Uh, Alan, you got any top 10, top 20s you want to go over before we get into long shots? Um, yeah, I just want to say um, I'm not I'm not feeling the the Tiger love. Not feeling it at all, actually. No, I'm joking. Um, not even. I think Scott's going to it, man. Like when Tiger's obviously warm and comfortable, and his back doesn't need to be stretched, he's good. Um, I like Justin Rose in, in deep fills. I know what you were saying about Patrick Reed, and and I agree. He does always seem to, to kind of find a way to sneak into contention in uh, deep fills. But I I like Justin Rose in deep fills, and and I think he's one of the more underrated ball strikers. Um, what I was looking at with the course um, that we really touched on, especially if you're looking at, like, the first par five, like, you got to be pretty accurate off the tee or you're going to get in a lot of trouble on most of these holes. And, um, like, that's what's killing me with uh, my boy Xander is that he's been pretty sporadic from time to time. And you just can't afford that. I mean, I love Xander, but unless you scramble like Phil, like, you, you're really going to be giving strokes back and we can't have that. Uh, fun fact about Bubba Watson, um, give a shout-out to Ian Harrison for this, but I also hate Bubba. But every other year he has won this tournament, I think, dating back to maybe Even 2016. years, too. Yeah, yeah, even, even years. So, years. I mean, at 20-1, I mean, hey, that's a good enough trend for me to take a shot, man. A uh, matter of fact, I think the uh, one year he went, he competed in the Celebrity All-Star game and turned around and won the next day. You want to say it was 2014, like, like 2016, yeah. and 2018. So, just saying, um, we talked about that. We talked about that last year on Two Off the Teed for, uh, we, when we did it for this event. That was one of the big things we talked about was we didn't like him because it wasn't an even year. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how that works sometimes with golfers. Um, I, I guess um, if I'm looking at the top 20, somebody that sticks out to me, um, I'm just a little curious, is uh, Lanto Griffin. Um, he's playing good golf. I just wonder if the field's too much for him. I, I think a lot of times what happens is, like, these guys get paired with, like, Brooks and Rory and stuff like that, and they get a little psyched out. Um, I think Lanto's um, a slightly underrated ball striker, but he's really consistent with his putting. And I want I want to say he's got enough he's got enough range that I don't think the distances will really uh, hurt him in a tournament like this. So I I think he could be a sneaky play as a as a top twenty. Um, top ten, I'm gonna go with Justin Rose is one of my top ten picks because I like him and he's already um, sitting at forty to one, so he's gonna have uh, pretty decent um, odds as, as a top 10 play as well. Matter of fact, he's 4-1 to one for a top 10 play. And then um, if I could do a top 5, um, honestly, I would probably go with John Rahm. He, since he's playing great golf right now, he's probably one of the, the more consistent golfers out of the top golfers. He, I would either go Rahm or Justin Thomas. They're both 2-1. to one. I don't think he can go wrong with either one. Uh, Justin Thomas, I want to say, um, plays pretty well on courses like this or anything that's basically a par 71. I, I tend to put a little bit of money on Justin Thomas. I don't know what it is about par 71s, but he just seems to do really well on courses like that. And so... Um, I think he's been playing pretty well on long courses as well this year, um, better than what people anticipated. And I know for a fact he's game. Um, he definitely wants to throw his his hat in the mix and challenge Rory. I'm worried about my boy Brooks, so I'm going to stay away from him right now. Um, the stuff I heard about his surgery and, and everything dating back to even before he took time off didn't seem too good to me. So I just want to see how he plays. Um, and hopefully he doesn't like re-injure himself. Uh, trying to go too hard out here. What do you think about, because uh, while we're talking about top fives, you got Tony Finau is plus 500 uh, for a top five. And we all know that he's probably not going to win because he just can't seem to figure out how to do that. But in his two starts here, he's tied 15th, tied second. Uh, and he seems to always be around. I mean, the the stats that we said that, lead to success here, you might as well just be reading off, you know, Tony Finau's game. Do you like that one at a top five for plus 500? I mean, the only thing that scares me about him is in, in the waste management tournament, like, he was really sporadic off the tee, especially in that last round. Well, that's fair. Um, I, yeah, I don't think he hit many greens at all, and it, and it kind of cost him. Um, so that would be my only concern because with the field this deep, I mean, you can't get behind too early. Like, let's say he starts off bad. Like he can't recover from that, you know. The, the cut line might be, dependent because you know how good everybody is. The cut line might be a little too high, and he'll be scrambling pretty much the whole tournament. I, that would be my only concern is that he's got to come out, he's got to start fast, and and I'm a little worried that the, you know my lasting image of him is is smacking the ball around the uh, the rough, and I'm like, yeah. I don't really like that in this situation. You got to be accurate off the tee. There's a lot of bunkers in play uh, towards the the back nine. Um, from what I was looking at the images on um, the golf app, so again, it just it just worries me a little bit. And just to play devil's advocate on Kepka, 
I agree with you that even though the, you know, plus 2,200 is it's pretty good odds for Kepka considering where he is in the world. I know with his form and the injury and stuff, but to me, the top five finish at plus 550, uh, he is basically, I, I read this today, uh, you know he's going to be salty about Rory being number one in the world. The last time that somebody took the number one player in the world from him uh, and then his next time he teed up, it was the first time he was number one in the world. He went on to win the PGA Championship. Uh, and the last time he had a long layoff because of an injury, he came back and won the U.S. Open. So, I mean, if anybody can basically have a really big week, it's Kepka. And I just like, honestly, the odds a little bit better at that top five at plus 550 because, I mean, it's we just said all the big names. So I think it would be more likely uh, that he could end up having a great week and finish second, third, fourth than it is to win just because of all the big names. And I just think that a lot of about Kepka is, is he motivated? And I think he's going to be really motivated this week because – He's going to hear stuff in the media tent about all the crap that he talked about Rory McIlroy. And honestly, since he had that, uh, you know, presser where he's talking about, you know, four, uh, he's won what, four majors? Rory's won none in that time. Like, what rivalry? All Rory's done is gone out and ball. And in Kepka's defense, he got hurt. But I just think there's some motivation there. I'm, I'm totally with you, though, that you, you don't know what you're going to get, but it's just, if you were ever going to want to just take a flyer on Kepka, you're not going to get odds like you would to win or to top five uh, with basically the number two player in the world other than in this situation. If I could jump true. in. At the end of the day, we have been doubting Brooks Kepka for the last three years, and he's done nothing but prove us wrong time and time again. I mean, I understand where every, both of you are coming from on, on both sides of things. But it, like you said, if Brooks Kepka wants to play good golf, he is the only player not named Tiger Woods that can seem to flip a switch and turn it on and play good golf. And the only player that shows up like Patrick Reed does in big events with big-time players is Brooks Kepka? Those two players, for some reason, they have like this edge about them that when they feel disrespected, when they feel motivated, they have another gear that we haven't seen really since Tiger was the first one that we had kind of ever seen that with. So, I I don't think I don't think Kepka's going to win this week, but plus five fifty to top five in my opinion is the best deal you're gonna get all year long on Kepka. So if you're gonna do it, you might as well do it. Yeah, Brooks all right, is a big game hunter, man. Go ahead. Um I was I was just gonna add to it. Brooks is a big game hunter. Um and it's one of those situations that honestly, like you said, I, and I can I can definitely vouch. Brooks has been eight to one, nine to one uh, I think the highest I might have seen him over the last year, maybe 10 to 1. But he's generally one of the favorites in every single A-list tournament uh, simply because he just shows up for that, especially majors. So to get him at 22 to 1 is definitely a steal. 
But it's one of those situations where you have to be calculated. I, I think a top five play is definitely more uh, appropriate, um, considering that he's coming back from a lower body injury, I believe. I think he had surgery only like his knee or something. Yep. So um, mm-hmm. you have to take that into consideration. Um, this will be his first full round of competitive golf in a while. Um, sure, adrenaline is going to be kicking and everything, but I, I think to – to be safe, it would be better to do a top five, top ten play, um, but keep an eye on it. And then you'll always make money off of somebody like that as the year goes on. You don't have to shoot your load right now. So I think Scott's right. definitely um, spot on. Like, he's typically the guy that we would we would never underestimate in this situation. Um, but given that everybody else is fresh, he's, he's got a lower body injury, I mean, you're going to have to show me. If you can win, by all means, I know you're back, and I'll definitely make it up when the Masters or something comes around. But uh, right now, I'm just going to have to play him as a prop. All right, so who do you, do you guys got any long shots that you want to talk about to win the tournament? What? Are you kidding me? My 100th and one only came in second last week. God. Well, always second. I'm always second. Like all second your golf place. picks. <laughs> always second place. So guess what? I'm going to give you another that's going to come in second. Brendan Todd. Ooh. 100 to 1. He's going to come in second. Xander's the only 100 to 1 I've ever won. Ever. So it's bound to happen. Brendan Todd. Scott, you got any long shots? Um, I mean, yes and no. Okay, so there's two guys, two I want to mention. The first is the one of the largest long shots in long shots, he is uh, 50 uh, – let me hold on, let me get it. He's plus 50,000, I think, yeah. So he's plus 50,000. It is Sam Burns, only because I keep up with this kid. He's out of LSU. I've watched him play. I've watched him hit, hit balls, and I do a lot of research on my favorite players. He's striking the ball the best he's hit it on tour as of late. I don't think he's going to win, but holy crap, those odds. The other one is the reigning champ, J.B. Holmes. He's 66-1. to um, I don't like J.B. Holmes, but he did Nobody win this does. tournament last – he did win this <laughs> tournament last year, and that's a bit disrespectful for the reigning champ to be 66-1. to one. So that's who I would say. You know why he's 66-1? Um, because he choked the waste management away. <laughs> well, I mean, I agree with you, but that's, away. That's, he's still – He's still him in good form, sixty six to one. Shit. Well, that's what I was going to tell care. you, Scott. Is <laughs> I, I love this play for JB Holmes. Is that if you're going to play JB, you know that he's going to choke on Sunday. You can get plus sixty five hundred odds on him being the first round leader. He's won oh there, as you said, just last year. He's been in good form, plus 6,500. I could totally see JB going out shooting 65, 66 and having his name at the top of the leaderboard and you cashing that. Uh, and then I got a couple of long shots that I really like. Uh, I like Max Homa at plus 9,000, uh, 91. Homa is coming off three straight top 15s. Uh, Riviera is very similar to Quell Hollow. He won there last year. Max is from California. He knows how to putt on uh, Poa Greens. He has plenty of length for the long par fours. And, uh, you know, as we said, he's been playing well. Uh, And then the other one is Cameron Smith. He has not played well since the Sony. He is also at 90 to 1 plus 9,000. But he is arguably the hottest Poa putter in the world right now. 
He is first in strokes gained on polo greens over his last 50 rounds and ranks eighth around polo greens and second overall in polo short game. And, again, he also has the distance to not be overwhelmed by the long and difficult par fours. Before we get to winners, is there any other guys you just, like, really like and you want to mention, but you're not actually picking them, but you would not hate on somebody for making that pick as a pick to win? Well, I mean, Patrick Reed, um, Leishman, uh, I will hate on you if you pick Adam Scott because he just can't putt. But um, me. Oh, you're going to hate what I'm going to say here in just a few minutes then. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, God, I hate it. Um, and then I guess DJ, based off how he played last week, um, I mean, just basically most of the top guys, honestly. I can't hate on you for picking any of them. But, I mean, if you're going to go down here to Jordan Spieth, then, yeah, we're going to have to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. So, I mean, I would I would say Xander plus twenty two hundred. Um, Xander has has the length. He is if he's in control of his game, he's scary. Um, we all know that. Uh, the fate of the week is Jordan Spieth. People are hot on Jordan Spieth. You both know I love Jordan Spieth. I'm a Jordan Spieth fan. But holy shit, guys, let's pick and choose our plays. Golf Twitter thinks he's back for some reason after. Like he said on Twitter a couple times this week, backdoor top ten. He had one good round, and people think and – and, yes, he played better than pretty much everyone else did on Sunday. But that doesn't mean he can do it in the pressure in a, on a par 71 from 73.50. The dude sucks off the tee. Anybody that takes Jordan Spieth, that is a waste of money um, this week. So don't pick him. Um. Just real quickly to go over, guys, I like – you mentioned DJ. I just want to point out he's 12-1. to 1. He won here in 2017. He has two runner-up finishes in 2014 and 2015. I love how I read he's had a so-so start. It was 2020 with a tied 32nd and tied 7th in his two performances. But, again, that's what, you know, DJ is. But – uh, any course that puts a premium on driving distance, long four fours, birdies gained, and stroke gains tee to green, like, he is a great play. And if he putts well, there's a chance he can blow the field away. So I love him. We talked about Bubba. I love Bubba. Uh, and uh, I do like Adam Scott at 33-1. to 1. I understand what <laughs> Alan is saying. I have been, like, spurned by Adam Scott more than anybody but it does need to be said, at the end of December, the last time he teed it up, he finally won the Australian PGA, which is basically the Masters in Australia. And I've read uh, several articles that just, he's called it a life-changing event. He's, I think, said somewhere it was his biggest winning the Masters to him, winning at his home crowd. And he's been in really good form and I just think that if you look at Adam Scott's career, typically when he wins an event, he wins a couple in a short period of time. And this is a golf course that when you're getting him for 33-1, to 1, he can outball strike people well enough to where he could have an average, like average, which would probably be good for him, but an average putting round or tournament against the field and win. He's that good of a driver of the ball, golf ball. He's that good of an iron player. And, again, just for 33-1, to 1, I don't hate that pick. 
uh, and I know Alan does, and I get it. Um, is there uh, non-putting Bama? <laughs> <laughs> he can't putt. If they would let him use the broom, he actually was able to putt, and then they banned it, which was like the most unfair thing uh, ever. Uh, which of you guys want to go first, picking your winner? I'll go. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. I'll go. Mine is not uh, a surprise, especially to Keith. Every time I pick this guy, he doesn't win. But when I don't pick him, he wins. I'm going to keep picking him until he proves me right. He is the favorite. He is the front horse. He is the world number one. His name is Rory Effin McRoy. He's going to win this week, in my opinion. He's going to have a dominating 2020. He's going to win a major. And it starts this week at Riviera, where driving a golf ball is premium, and there's no one on the planet at better than at driving the golf ball than Rory McIlroy. He wins this week. Plus 800, by the way. Great pick. Um, yeah. So cliche. I like – I'm with I know. Gamble, I hate taking the favorite. No, it's know, not even Rory. I, know, I, I was know. thinking that Justin Thomas is my pick. <laughs> Uh, and it's going to come down to the fact that Rory's going to get a 10-foot putt. He's going to miss, and it's going to go right on back to the Rory that we all knew that chokes it away and enter Justin uh, Thomas for clutch. And we're going to laugh about this next week. You're going to be like, man, I had money on Rory. Rory's supposed to win it. Yeah, Rory, just, you just can't, man. Now, if Rory comes into Sunday and he's in the second group or the third group, yeah, he's got a shot. But if he's in the final group, no, no. Can't do it. <laughs> Don't go with Justin Thomas. Who's the second favorite? So, this is becoming a stick at this point, but I don't care anyway. I'm taking oh Tiger Woods. Oh, my God. <laughs> Plus 17. I just want, I want to go ahead and get it out there because I want to at least build my case. I don't want to be Skip Bayless. There is a case for it. So, he's 17-1, to 1, which, A, I love those odds. If you look at the way he's played, uh, honestly, in his last three times he's teed it up. Uh, he looked like a different person at the Zozo Championship that was coming off the knee surgery. Obviously, he won there. Uh, he looked great at the President's Cup. You could argue he was one of the top three or four players that week. And then he looked well in his tournament, which, honestly, he was doing hosting duties. He was – I mean, I think that's more of just they, the guys like to have a good time. I don't really look at results. I just look at the way they're swinging. And sometimes every once in a while in sports, there's just – you know, I don't know if you want to call it karma, uh, destiny, whatever it may be, but this is the venue that Tiger Woods played his first ever PGA Tour event as a 15-year-old amateur. And it is, we all know about how he's had 12 starts there. He's never won. It's the most starts he's ever had at a venue without a win. Uh, what is kind of lost in it is people say, well, he's, you know, he can't, he's not good there. He can't play well there. He has three top tens. He's got a second place. Uh, ironically, he has struggled with the the greens because they're Poana, and we know that typically he's like the greatest Poana putter of all time. Uh, but just last year alone, he finished in the top 15, and he lost a stroke to the field on the greens. That never happens. And, again, it shows even last year, which I don't think he was playing as well as he is right now, he is that good of a ball striker that he can still be in contention. Uh, he's going to be playing the first two rounds with two of his best friends, Steve Stricker, who's his old guard best friend, and Justin Thomas, who is his young guard best friend. 
Uh, I think that's going to play a factor into it. And it's just come full circle. He's going to literally come back to the venue where it all started for him on the PGA Tour to win the 83rd victory, to break Sam Snead's record. And I just think that it just would be so fitting. It would be so Tiger that, you know, he's, he's kind of like a Jordan or those kind of guys. And then don't forget the fact that he was friends with Kobe Bryant. They're playing out in California. I can see Tiger Woods winning that event, getting that 83rd victory, and then saying as he's accepting the award, I did this for my friend Kobe Bryant. Uh, I just see it happening, and it will not surprise me in the least bit. And I really did try to pick somebody else, but I watched today go on Twitter if you have not. I think it's – what is it called, Scott Golf Now, the, the site that he does all the videos on? Which one? The Tiger? Is it, is it Golf Now? Yeah, it's where that the girl uh, always is interviewing them on there. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll I'll share it on the IB group. But he was out yesterday for an event he did with Bubba Watson. He had on his team like Alex Rodriguez, Chris Pratt, and it's just the swagger this dude has right oh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I said it. I said it after round one of the Zozo Championship when I told Allen going into that tournament Tiger was going to win oh uh, that he just <laughs> you said Tiger's going to win that. every tournament. Exactly. Well, Alan. I'm just going to say I've picked him four times <laughs> on a podcast. He's won twice. So that's 50%. We'll take those odds, right? Right? I mean, yeah, yeah I picked him, yeah. and he lost two other events, but he won the Masters and he won the Zozo. So uh, I really do think that it's just going to be a historic. He, he he grew up 40 miles from this place. I, I just, there's so many storylines. It would be one of those deals. And again, even as Tiger's biggest fan with his body, I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do this, how long it is until his body breaks down. And I just, I can see this win playing out all the storylines and then even if he does have, you know, another back injury, knee injury, whatever, and we don't get that many more Tiger moments, that, I mean, if this was the last one, it would be so fitting that he breaks the record at literally the course that's closest to his home uh, at the place he played his first event, uh, and especially in California with the Kobe deal and stuff and them being buddies. Uh, I just can see it. So any either way, it's going to be a great turn. I'm seriously so excited. I love it when you get all these big names, uh, in a field, and it, it, it's just going to be so exciting. Uh, Scott, do you have anything you want to plug or say before we get out of here? Man, I just appreciate y'all um, y'all having me back on. It's been fun. Looking forward to getting back on with y'all for the uh, for the big golf tournaments. Um, give another shout-out to our old sponsor, Two Off the Tee. He's still doing great work uh, with Sabbath Golf. I actually just joined Sabbath Golf team as their social media strategist so please go give sabbath golf a follow on uh facebook and instagram and check out some of their merch it's uh really really quality stuff and uh like i said i just appreciate y'all having me on and uh looking forward to this this season tell them to hook me and alan up with some stuff and we'd be happy you know what i'm saying to, to plug his stuff more so he already alan, you got you one time yeah, I know, but who doesn't like to get hooked up twice? And he hadn't hooked up Alan. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I ain't got hooked up yet. Alan, you got anything you want to plug, buddy? Uh, nah, man. Other than um, I 
I called the Pelicans crushing the Blazers, and I'm a Blazers fan, and they are crushing the Blazers. Um, no, I don't have anything to, to really plug. NBA sucks because people just don't play sometimes. I actually had a good run. I finished at 60% um, on, like, a seven-game win streak at the end of January, and then I think we started February with, like, three losses, four losses. Um, but um, two games over 500, and um, if you want free plays, I do an NBA play a day uh, in the all-star group. So um, join, you get a free play. And March Madness is right around the corner. We're excited about that. I right? crushed March Madness. College basketball. Yep. I was like 66, 67% last year. Um, I, I swear if, if I could do that again, it would be a blessing. But um, I've been following college basketball all year. Um, it doesn't always go my way. I, I think I'm probably a little over 50%. I, I haven't kept up with all the totals. But, um, I mean, I know I had a bad run the last, like, four or five days. Last week it was it was up and down. And then we had three days in a row where we were well over 60% and got some underdog plays. So it's been back and forth. Conference play is really hard. So if people are, are doing um, college betting right now, it's just a difficult time. It's kind of like the, the dog days of, of college basketball because mm-hmm. guys are really just unpredictable. So take it easy. Stay away from these double-digit spreads that are like favorites, uh, especially when they're on the road. I wouldn't even touch it. It's not worth it. Yo, Alan, real quick. Well, uh, just got to plug. Just got to plug myself, Alan, real quick. Saturday I had the best day I've ever had college basketball and NBA. Your boy went eleven and one, plus thirteen point nine five units. I got a screenshot to prove it. Oh, eleven. I like and that. One. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good night, boys. The uh, right, student man. becomes the teacher. Uh, well, this has been another edition of the backdoor cover. Want to thank Scott for jumping on for the golf. He is going to join us for the majors, probably the uh, the TPC at Sawgrass, uh, the Tour Championship, some of the bigger events. And me and Alan will be back next week. Uh, We're going to probably do mostly college basketball, NBA, and uh, obviously see what else pops up in that time period. Uh, Be sure to check out the All-Star Game this weekend. It's still one of my favorite weekends uh, in sports. I I, I still think it's cool. I know a lot of people hate on the All-Star Game. but uh, And be sure to join the IB Sports Facebook group, if you have not. Uh, it also, I believe, has an Instagram page. I know it has a Twitter page. You need to follow all of those. And please, if you get a chance, go to Apple iTunes, follow the IB Sports podcast feed where you can get this podcast, a lot of other great content from RC, Allen, uh, and plenty of other great podcasts on sports and entertainment. Uh, but this has been another edition of the Backdoor Cover with myself and Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy on social media, a.k.a. IB Yeezus, and we will see you guys soon. Take care. Peace.